God. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, where we were last week. <coughs> Our armor of God. Glory to God. I didn't, I just kind of had a little thought of last week about the armor of God, but God a lot of times takes a thought and makes a series. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 6. Oh, I forgot. I was going to read it out of a different version tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Is this the right Bible? What is this Bible? Yeah, New Living. That's what I wanted. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Out of the New Living Translation. I'm going to read it to you so you listen. Because we've read it. We read it last week out of King James, Amplified, and the Message. And the New Living Translation just brought light to it to me this week. A final word. Paul said a final word. Now, you know, anytime somebody tells you the last thing they're going to say, the last thing you say to somebody is important, the most important. You know, if you was getting ready to go on a, 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 a month-long trip, uh, and you was going to leave, you know, if I was going to leave Eric in charge at my house, you know, I would probably have a whole list of things for him to do. But when I was walking out the door, I would remind him of the very most important things, wouldn't I? I mean, I wouldn't, when I was going out the door, I wouldn't tell him the least important thing. I would say, now, Eric, be sure. In fact, I've done this very thing. I'd say, Eric, now, be sure that you do this. Amen. And so Paul said, it, it said, Paul said a final word. Be strong with the Lord's mighty power. Put on all of God's armor. See, it's going to take all. It's going to take the whole armor. You know, if we're just half-dressed, we're not going to have the victory that we're going to have if we'll put on all of God's armor. He said, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies and tricks of the devil. You know, sometimes we don't think... Uh, we, don't, we think that the devil's pretty haphazard about what he does. But no, he's got a strategy. He's got a strategy. It's a well-planned out strategy. And he's got tricks. He tries to trick us. He tries to trick us. You know, it's amazing how a lot of people believe everything that comes down the pipe. They, like Pastor said, every thought they have, they believe it. Everything the doctor said, they believe it. And you know, doctors buy, uh, uh, I don't know if, they, maybe they teach them this at medical school, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure they do. But there's kind of an unwritten code. If you don't want to get a lawsuit, you better, tell, you better give everybody worst case scenario. So they think of everything possible and the worst thing it could be, and they give you that. But, you know, some people, it's amazing. They buy all of that hook, line, and sinker. See, but the devil, the Bible says in John 8, 44, that he's the father of lies. That he's a liar and that the truth's not in him. And he's the father of lies. And he wants you to buy everything you hear. He wants you to believe it. Because, see, that, he wants to trick you. And, you know, in Jonah, chapter 2, verse 8, um, Y'all turn over to Jonah real quick, if you can find it. I just got to, you know, really bring this home to you. We'll finish reading the, what we were reading. Because this is a really important scripture. And you know, God hides sometimes these important scriptures in places you don't get very often. And this is one that's very important. Especially if you're believing God for healing. This is, well, in anything you're believing God for, finances or anything... 
Hallelujah. But healing, just, you know, this ministered to me when I was believing God for healing. He says, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Oh, I didn't tell you where. 2.8. Aren't y'all spiritual? <laughs> huh? Jonah 2.8. Jonah 2.8. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Those, we could say those that believe lying vanities, they're, you're going to forsake your own mercy if you believe everything that comes down, everything that the devil tells you, everything that, the, that your mother-in-law tells you, everything that your mother tells you, everything that grandma tells you, everything that, your, that, that the girls at work tell you. Hallelujah, Wanda, I wasn't me referring to you, but hallelujah, she was telling me the girls at work, they had the bad report for her this week. Hallelujah. You know the, praise God, those of you that work in a carnal place, you know what I'm talking about. They got the bad report there. The worst case scenario. That's what they want to tell you, isn't it? Hallelujah. Those that observe lying vanities. I mean, you come to work with something minor and they'll say, but I, they have a cousin somewhere that died of it. I can guarantee you they do. And they want to tell you who died of that, you know? Isn't that the truth? It is, hallelujah. And, and you know, it seems like hypochondria just runs in some families. It just runs rampant in some families. People just overreact. They, they observe the lying vanity and forsake their own mercy. Amen. See, you can't believe the devil's got a trick. He won't, you know, even you can't even ever believe every pain. Every pain your body has is not something. And I mean, some of you need to throw your medical dictionary away. I, we don't have one in our house. We don't want to look it up. We don't want to know what it might could be. Amen. Hallelujah. Everything that comes, every, sometimes things that come on your body are just lying vanities. Now, we're not trying to teach you to be, uh, don't be uh, 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 foolish. We're not talking about that. We're, but because you know, uh, but you don't have to believe everything. Hallelujah. Okay. It's true anyway. Okay. <clears throat> now I'm reading out of the whole armor of God. Okay. Evil, let's see. For maybe I'll stand firm against all the strategies and tricks of the devil. For we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against those mighty powers of darkness. Uh, who rule this world and against wicked spirits in the heavenly realms. You know, one of the things we need to realize that people aren't our problem. It doesn't say that people weren't involved. It doesn't say people aren't involved. It says they're not the root of the problem. When somebody's treating you ugly, when somebody's persecuting you, there's somebody else behind the scenes. And it's the devil. It's, so people sometimes are involved, but they're not the root of your problem. People aren't the source of your problem. You know what? Anytime, this is just a rule, you always have to deal with the source. You know, if you get bad service at the restaurant, you don't go over and, and the, to the dishwasher and slap him around a little. <laughs> you know, I mean, and, <laughs> real, don't, do you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's that way, and, and you always go to the source in every situation. Amen? I mean, when your children has problems at school, do you go beat the janitor up? 
No, because he's not the source. He's not the, he, the buck doesn't stop with the janitor. And that's the way it is in the spirit realm. You know, sometimes we get to arguing with people or we get to fighting with people or we start getting our feelings hurt with people or we start getting offended with people or we, and, and we start having this big wrestling match with people, but they're not the source. And we're never going to solve the problem until we go to the source. And we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against powers and principalities and wicked spirits and heavenly places and, and those things. That's who the war is with. Verse 12, and he says, uh, Evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against those mighty powers of darkness who rule this world. That ought to give us a clue. You see, a lot of Christians, Christians are the world's worst about this. They think God's ruling this world. But God's not ruling this world because it wouldn't be in a mess if He was ruling this world. God's not ruling this world. He said right there, the powers, the principalities, wicked spirits and heavenly realms, they're ruling this world. In other words, now they don't own the world, but this world system. They're in control of this world system because Adam committed high treason and gave his authority over to the devil. Jesus won it back for us. But, um, hallelujah, we have to enforce our victory. In other words, the devil's defeated. He knows he is. The demons are defeated. They know they are, but they're counting on you not knowing they are. They're counting on that, and they're so they're, uh, they're, uh, they're, they're just like kind of um, how, uh, you know, uh, how people do in the, at the football game. You go to the football game and you've got tickets. You've got expensive tickets on the 50-yard line. But you know sometimes if you're late to the game, you go and somebody will be sitting in your seat. And you've got to say, uh, ma'am, here I have tickets for this seat. Sir, I have tickets for this seat. And they get up and move. But, you know, they came there and they sat there. They, did, they have a, did they buy that ticket? No. Did they have a right to sit there? Not really. And that's the way the devil do. He'll rule and he'll reign until you say, huh, huh, I have a ticket. Until you enforce his defeat. Hallelujah. And you know, sometimes he doesn't, um, he doesn't bow quickly because he, he wants to know if you know it or you just know you, he, you heard it from Miss Debbie. Because if you just heard it from me, he can outlast you. See, you got it. That's why he's, the, the, the Bible says there, where we, we're reading, it says, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. You're going to have to stand a while sometimes. You've got you to outlast the devil because he's, te he's trying you. He don't know if you really mean business. And I want you to notice there, you know, I think that sometimes we, all Christians, when it says we're not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, I mean, we just kind of get scared right there. Ooh. And it goes on, and you know, it does make the devil sound against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against those mighty powers of darkness who rule this world, against wicked spirits in the heavenly realms, and all of a sudden we have a real big devil. And we feel like... You know, it makes us feel small and insignificant. But the Bible says, greater is he that is in you. I don't, I mean, as big as Paul made them sound right there. 
when he wrote that. As big as, that sounds like they're big and there's bunches of them and they're important and they're powerful. But I don't care how big and important and powerful they are. There's, you know what? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Jesus inside the littlest child back there is greater. Yes, hallelujah. Amen. Jesus inside the smallest one that's, that's, that's able to believe God for Jesus to come into his heart is greater. The Bible says Jesus spoiled. In Colossians it says Jesus spoiled principalities. But you know what? They're going to continue to, they're gonna re- continue to ride roughshod over us until we enforce that defeat. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, it's, it's kind of like um, passing laws. You know, the Congress of our United States and of Alabama, they can pass all the laws they want to pass. They can sit up in Montgomery and they can pass laws all day, every day. But unless somebody enforces those laws, uh, those that are lawless are going to ignore the laws. Amen. I don't care how many laws we pass. The lawless will always ignore them until somebody enforces them. The devil is lawless, and unless you enforce it, he's going to ignore it. He is going to ignore it. Amen. Praise God. Now, um, we, the Bible said there, when we were reading, he said, use every piece of, a, of, of God's armor. I don't think we even got that yet. yet. Yeah, verse... Uh, 13, I think. I don't have my glasses on, so I'm kind of reading this by faith. But anyway, (laughs) it says, Use every piece of God's armor to resist the enemy. Well, hallelujah. Did he say just use one piece? Now, I was raised Baptist. Now, I got saved. I was in the Baptist church all my life. I about two weeks old. They had me on the cradle roll. First Baptist church, Breckenridge, Texas. They had me. I was in the nursery on the cradle roll. That's my grandfather loved to tell that. You were on the cradle roll. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so I was raised there, and I got saved when I was 10 years old. And I'm thankful that the Baptist church preached salvation. I'm so very thankful. But you know what? All those years, I just had on one piece of God's armor. And I didn't even have it on very good because I didn't even, all I, you know what I thought salvation was? Staying out of hell. I wasn't going to go to hell. Hallelujah. Wasn't going to go to hell. Thought that, you know, I'd been, I was really grateful. You know, I, I tell you what, I gave my whole life to Jesus and went to church all the time just so thankful I wasn't going to hell. Didn't know I had a thing else in this world. Didn't have anything, I didn't have any of the rest of the armor on. And I didn't have much of the helmet of salvation on. I had kind of like one little earpiece or something over here. You know, and that's all I had on. Um, So he said, use all of God's armor. Every piece to resist the devil. Family, if it's going to take every piece, if if it's going to, if we're going to be victorious, we're going to have to use every piece. If we could have done it with one piece, he'd have given us one piece. But we're going to have to have every piece of the armor on if we're really going to be victorious. Amen? So we're going to do that tonight. Now, we learned last week that three pieces of the armor are the Word of God. Remember uh, the belt of truth? We know that the, that our, the Word is truth. Amen? Remember uh, the... the uh, help me here. Help me. No, no. The Word. Huh? No, no. <laughs> There's three pieces to the word. Y'all, no, no, not that. 
Uh, the sword of the Spirit, yeah, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the Bible says. Hallelujah. With the belt of truth. I've got that one. Y'all helping me here? The feet, yeah, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It says that it's the gospel of peace. So three pieces of the armor are God's word. We got it, didn't we? By the process of elimination, we got it. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And then three pieces of God's armor are our, is our redemption. The helmet of salvation is part of redemption. The breastplate of righteousness is part of redemption. Remember? Hallelujah. And what's that other piece? The shield of faith. Faith is a part of our redemption. We got faith when we got saved. We got the God kind of faith put on the inside of us. Now before we got saved, we had the measure of faith. To every man, Romans says, is given the measure of faith. Why? So they can receive Jesus Christ. But now, when you got saved, just like you got love shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost, you got every one of the fruits of the Spirit in you. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, and faith. So you've got the God kind of faith. So when Jesus said to the apostles in Mark eleven twenty three, 23, have faith in God, or a better translation, if you go to the Greek, is have the God kind of faith, or have the faith of God. When he said that, he was telling them what they could have when they got born again. See, the disciples weren't born again. They couldn't be, because Jesus had not yet been to the cross and paid the price. For salvation. Amen? Hallelujah. So, he was telling them what could be. And so now we're born again and we have the love of God shed in our heart. We have the faith of God shed abroad in our heart. We don't have to have more faith. We already got the ultimate, the God kind of faith. But you never, you, you, you've had it for years. But faith is, Romans says, uh, faith cometh by hearing. Or faith is activated by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. When you hear the word of God preached, that faith is activated. Hallelujah. Or you know God by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says Jesus. Jesus, author and the developer of our faith, he's been trying to get you to develop in faith even when you didn't know any better. You know, he had me sowing seed when I didn't know you're supposed to sow seed. He led me to so he could bless me. I was a little Baptist girl and I was uh, working at Carbon Black Plant in uh, Seagraves and got pregnant with Colin and and uh, Pastor and I. We, I, he was farming, so I talked him into let I could quit work, <laughs> and uh, so I stayed home, started watching PTL, started watching Jim. Jim and Tammy, and uh, Jim and Tammy talk about the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and 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 you know I we we now we gave a little Sunday school offering, you know at the Baptist church, you don't put anything in the offering plate that goes by. I don't know anybody ever put anything in the offering plate. You put your offering in a little envelope and you give it in Sunday school, and I'm talking little offering. I'm talking a little. Because on the little offering envelope, it said, had a little check marks where you check. You brought your Bible. You brought an offering. You did your daily Bible reading. Had these little check marks. And you wanted to make this. Some people know what I'm talking about. You wanted to check them little check marks. So the Sunday school secretary would see it. Anyway, <laughs> hallelujah. So and even sometimes you just lied. Flat out old lied about it. <laughs> hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We weren't under a lot of conviction about anything in the church I was in. Hallelujah. So, um, where was I? But anyway, so I heard one day on PTL, watching it, a Brother Oral Roberts was on PTL. Heard him talking about seed faith. 
And so I went to, I remember going to the desk, belonged to my little great-grandmother. I had it then. I don't have it now. It was an orange desk. My mother had antiqued it orange. Mm, Jesus, help me. <laughs> Hallelujah. And uh, that's back when antiquing was that. So anyway, went to that desk. I can remember sitting there. I remember where it was in the room. I remember making out a check. I think it was for $15. I'm not positive about that. And sowed a seed. Sent it to Jim and Tammy. Sowing a seed faith. Uh, and that was back oh, in 1979. It was in 1979. I sent them a, I, I sowed my first seed. My alms and my prayer, and then I heard them talking about baptizing the Holy Spirit, so I, I was in the shower. I remember being in the shower, I remember exactly where I was, and I prayed and asked the Lord to baptize me in the Holy Spirit, didn't know what it was, didn't know what I was going to get, but, and so didn't know how to receive it and didn't know how to act on it. And so, uh, But you know, the Bible, Cornelius, just like Cornelius, my prayers and my givings came up as a memorial before God. I'm telling you, when you give and you pray, you get God's attention, and I'm telling you, God began to move all heaven to get me baptized in the Holy Ghost. And he had to move all heaven to do it. And he began to do all sorts of things. Well, first of all, Jim and Tammy sent me a book, which I didn't read. Hallelujah. They sent me a book on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, hallelujah, I didn't read it. My grandmother gave us a book. She gave us Rivers of Living Water by John Osteen, which we didn't read. I highly recommend that book for anybody Baptist that needs to be filled with the Spirit. And, he, and I, after I got filled with the Spirit, I read it and thought, oh, you know, somebody else Baptist got baptized in the Holy Ghost. But anyway, didn't read the book. Hallelujah. So God begins to move heaven and earth because I've given and I've prayed a prayer. Well, my grandparents lived in Hawley, Texas, right outside of Abilene, ranchers. And uh, uh, just, I, why in the world? And my dad, he lived in Seagraves where we live. He was a banker there at the bank. And he got offered a job in Nocona, Texas, right outside of Wichita Falls. And so he moves. This is my dad, my parents' son. And I'm just the granddaughter. He moves to Nocona. My grandparents, this has to be God. With my dad moved out of town, they decide to move to Seagraves, which is the second armpit of the world. <laughs> the sand blows 40 miles an hour most days. And I mean, it's just, I mean, why? There's no reason on God's green earth for them to move. My, my, my grandmother, is, she's raised in Albany. Her mother lives in Albany. All her brothers and sisters live around Albany, Texas. And she's moving off to Seagraves. And we live there. We're the only ones. My grandfathers are ranchers. There's not ranches in Seagraves. And he doesn't want to retire. But see, God's moving heaven and earth together. For me, my grandmother's baptized in the Holy Ghost. And so she starts hanging around us. Well, in I don't know why I'm telling this. I'm supposed to be preaching this. Hallelujah. But anyway, I, homecoming comes, and my mother is a florist. And so I help her sometimes, and, and she pays me, and I spend most of my money right there. And so I take a... Colin to the babysitter, and I'm work. We were on homecoming week. You work all day, every day, and part of the night getting all these big mums because everybody. I don't know if it's that way in Tuscaloosa, but in a little town, see things like that are sometimes lots more important. And every girl, every little girl, everybody has to have a mum. The bigger the better, and the longer it hangs, and the more bells that it has on it. And how much they love you is how much they spend on that mum. Up to about $50 a piece even then. And that was 1980, 80, 80, 1979. And so I go to work, and right in the middle of the work, my, my throat starts closing up, and I start swelling, and, and I start breaking out in these things. And I didn't know that that's dangerous, so I just got in the car, 
my Suburban, put it in drive, drove myself down to Dr. Redwine. I told the clinic lady, I'm, I'm broke out in all these hives. My throat's closing up. Man, she went into a tizzy, brought me back in. The doctor comes right in with a big old needle, puts it right in my arm, Benadryl, and I just shrivel right back up. You know, I go back down, and then I go, and then you know, about five hours later, here I go again, and I go back, and he gives me another shot of Brenadil right in the artery, because you know this is dangerous; it can close off your windpipe. I'm having an allergic reaction to something, don't know what, because I've been around this stuff all for a long time. <laughs> this happens about three or four times. My grandmother has moved to Seagraves in September. And she's called, she knows about it. She says, can I come over and pray for you? I said, sure. I didn't believe anything, but I said, sure. She comes over and pray for me. I got instantly healed. It's never happened since. since. Not one time since. I get healed. God's got my attention now, although still nothing is going on. Well, God moves on. See, God's moving all of heaven and earth together because my prayer and my alms have come up as a memorial before God. And so, um, uh, Johnny and Martha Gooding start having uh, meetings on Sunday afternoon down at the old picture show in uh, Seagraves. They call it Faith Temple, and they're having meetings at 2 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. Well, my grandmother goes because she's starved for fellowship. She's spirit-filled, and there's nobody. And she figures out anybody that's going to have something at 2 o'clock on Sunday afternoon is bound to be spirit-filled. So she goes, down to, she goes down to Johnny and Martha's, and Johnny and Martha are... Uh, having these meetings. So I decide I'll go. I say, you want to go to Michael? He says, you go check it out. <laughs> and so he, I always tease him, he sent his missionary. Anyway, I was, so I went down and check it out. And then finally I get him to go once. And a little girl from the Assembly of God Church that's coming, she comes in and she gives a message in tongues. We never heard tongues before. Man, I tell you, we're, see God's moving all heaven and earth together to get to us because our, our offering and our, our, our prayers have come up as a memorial before God. Amen? And hallelujah, we were hungry. See, we'd had a lay renewal in the Baptist church. The deacons put the kaitis on that real quick. But we had a lay renewal back in the 70s in the Baptist church. And, every, and you know, most of the people that went around and did those lay renewals, some those know what I'm talking about, they were usually filled the spirit undercover. Hallelujah. But they got us to, you know, they got us to holding hands and singing sweet, what's that song? Um, Sweet Holy Spirit. You know, we sang that about three weeks till the deacons axed that. You won't sing that anymore, you know. Uh, sweet Heavenly Dove, come right here with us, filling us with your love. Now, we didn't want none of that in our church. Boy, I tell you. <laughs> and so Johnny and Martha are having these meetings. I'm not, I'm supposed to be doing this. But Johnny and Martha are having these meetings on Sunday afternoon. And they throw a big, no, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. And so I go and then I get him to go and we hear tongues. Now my grandmother decides, well, New Year's Eve is coming. We've rocked through Christmas. So she says, okay. I have some friends down in Roscoe, uh, and, uh, and they are all filled with the Spirit Baptists who have getting, gotten the left foot of fellowship out of the Baptist church. And Betty and Don play the guitar, and Betty and Don sing, and sing scripture songs, which we'd never heard in our life. So let's, she told Johnny, let's have them come for a New Year's Eve service. And so he agrees, and so they come. They come from Roscoe. Uh, I, several couples, I can't remember. I remember Don and Betty and Shay, their little girl, and... Uh, a friend of my grandmother's who the whole family knows named uh, Joyce. 
Moorhead. And so Joyce stays at our house because my grandmother hosts Don and Betty to spend the night. And we have a service, New Year's Eve, at the Faith Temple. And, she str and Don strums, and he's had an aneurysm. And, but he's, God's healed him enough. He's still strumming and singing. And Betty sings. And they sing, This is the day and horse and rider thrown into the sea. And I don't know the scripture songs. You know what I'm talking about that we sang in the 70s and 80s. And, and I'm just like, Oh, these are the prettiest songs I ever heard in my life. Because I'd never heard nothing where the Holy Ghost was moving. And so I, I just, oh, these are beautiful songs. And so uh, we go home, and Joyce sits up talking to me that night. And Pastor goes to bed, and Colin was in the bed. And, uh, and me and Joyce are talking. And I said, well, I want to get baptized in the Holy Ghost. But I still didn't know what it was or nothing. And uh, so, you know, we talk about that. We talk about other things. Well, the next day, my grandmother believes that you have to eat black-eyed peas on New Year's Day. So she cooks her big dinner. She cooks Southern style. She cooks chicken and dumplings and black-eyed peas and the stuff like Granny cooks and cream pie. Nobody in this world ever made cream pie like Granny Hixie. I'm telling you, she could make cream pie. Is that not right, Eric? She could make cream pie. Hallelujah. And she always made cream pie. Different kinds of chocolate. Apricot cream pie. Some of you never had that. Caramel cream pie. Just whatever the notion struck her. Hallelujah. <laughs> anyway, so we have lunch. And after lunch, uh, Betty and Don and Joyce, they don't go home. And, and, you know, I'm even sitting there thinking, isn't it time for these people to go home? <laughs> but they just kind of keep sitting around, keep sitting around. keep. See, they're being led by the Spirit. And they, they know they want to go. They don't want to get home at midnight to Roscoe. But they got, they, they're not released by the Spirit. See, God's wanting to do something here in Sea Graves, Texas. And so uh, um, we're sitting there. It runs around. It's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. But see, now God's moving all heaven and earth together to get because my prayers and my alms has come up as a memorial before God. And he's moving heaven and earth together to get this done. So about we're sitting in the dining room, all of us. And about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, everybody, and there's quite a few people, get up and leave the room. I don't know where they went. Some of them went to the bathroom. Some, they just all went somewhere else. And the only people left in the room are me and Pastor and Joyce. And now Joyce knows because I told her the night before, I, I want to get baptized in the Holy Ghost. I said it real casually. And while they're all gone, she just turns to me and she says, if you want to be baptized in the Holy Ghost, you're going to have to ask them because they're not going to ask you. And that's all she said, and they all came back in the room. Everybody just comes back in the room, sits down. Everybody's just sitting around talking, you know, just, you know. And so I heard myself say, I didn't know I was going to say it. I didn't plan to say it, but I heard myself say, I don't know about Michael, but I want you to pray for me that I'd get baptized in the Holy Ghost. And he kind of grunted something like me too or something. <laughs> he did. I mean, and so uh, now my grandfather's not baptized in the Holy Ghost, but he knows all about it. He goes to the full gospel businessmen meetings with my grandmother, but he's a Baptist deacon, and he knows what it means. And so we go to the back, her back bedroom, me and Michael and Betty and Don. And, my, and so my grandfather, he got, he's getting upset. He said to my grandmother, Hixie, what have you got these kids into? 
Because he knows there's going to be the hells, there's going to be hell to pay. The first fixing to fly at First Baptist Seagraves, this is a little town. He knows what these people act like after they go back in that room and, you know. <laughs> and he knows. And so, uh, he, uh, we go back there and Pastor Betty and Don talk to us a minute. I don't remember them show, preaching the word or even opening, talk to us a minute. They lay hands on us and I receive just like that, speak in tongues. Pastor, he received by faith and kind of grunted a little. And uh, <laughs> took him three or four days of kind of, uh, 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 but he got it, you know, it came. Hallelujah. We didn't know what we know now even. We didn't have that kind of revelation even that we have now of how to receive and how to go ahead and speak by faith and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, so, and my grandfather, meanwhile, you'd have to just know him, and I know this sounds terrible, but he was really a very loving man. But he's so nervous. He's, he's picking at the kids, making them cry. He's picking on Shay. He's picking on Colin. He's just a nervous wreck. You know, he's just, you know, and... Uh, and so we come out, and I mean, we're baptizing the Holy Ghost. New Year's Day, 1980, while the whole world has just changed. The whole world's turned. It still hadn't turned right side up in Seagraves, Texas. Hallelujah. They, and so uh, we now, okay, we're going to Faith Temple, and we got a reason to go. And not only that, okay, let's start a Bible study in our home on Thursday night. Now, you've got to understand there was no church to go to anywhere, mostly. In all the United States, there wasn't many word churches. Many spirit-filled churches. There was the spirit. There was the Assembly of God churches and stuff, but not not like we're talking about. And, and, and so, so we hit the ground running. Man, we're having a Bible study on Sunday night. He's teaching. I mean, and Hallelujah. Now he was the Sunday school teacher at the Baptist church, but we still don't know anything about the spirit-filled life or anything like that. You know. And uh, uh, so uh, the deacons get all stirred up at the Baptist church. And uh, they start driving up and down our street on Thursday night to see who's at our Bible study. Then they even told us, well, they begin to come one at a time to the Bible study just to check us out. Because, see, more people are starting to get filled with the Spirit now. And so it's getting, it's getting. And so they decide, they form a lynch mob, and they decide they're going to throw Johnny and Martha out of the church because they're having this service on, to, on Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock. And so they have the big meeting like Baptists do. And they did. They voted and blessed, and, and blessed Johnny and Martha's little heart. The only one that stood up and said no was Johnny's little aunt, uh, uh, whatever her name was. I can't remember her. Balkum. Miss Balkum. I can't remember her first name now. Anyway, she stood up and voted no. Everybody else in the Baptist church voted yes to throw Johnny and Martha out of the Baptist church. They kicked them out. Like my mom said, we was talking about that this summer when I was with them in New Mexico. She said that church had never recovered. It had never recovered. It's never been the same, never recovered, never had success at anything. Just Now it's just dried up old people. Hallelujah. Well, the, one of the deacons called my mom aside. He said, we got Johnny Gooding and Michael Billings is next. Now, that was his exact words. So we didn't want to have the big vote. So we just, we just voted ourselves with our feet. And we just, we just gracefully left. We didn't want to cause a stir. Stink, didn't want to cause a stir. And so the, we didn't know where to go to church the next Sunday. We, of course, you know, little town, 2,500 people. Everybody in town knows. So we went to First United Methodist. They saw us walk in. It scared the liver out of those Methodists. It's like, oh, God, don't send them here, you know. 
Hallelujah. But we went to the Assembly of God. And I think the next Sunday we went to Lubbock, to Trinity Church. Decided, well, 60 miles. Now we know we could have drove 60 miles. But then we thought, oh, we couldn't do that. You know, and so we didn't. Um, probably wasn't the will of God because God used us at the Assembly. So we, the next Sunday we went to the Assembly of God Church. See, our prayers and our alms had come up as a memorial before God. He had to move heaven and earth together against us. Now, persecution arose, like Pastor Pro, I mean, persecution arose for the word's sake. A lot of people didn't make it that got filled with the Spirit. I know one of our friends, uh, Cheryl, uh, Cheryl, I, we were, he was in their wedding. One of, they were like best friends with us. Cheryl got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Doug didn't. And Doug's mom and dad have money. Doug's mom and dad go to, go to Cheryl and say, you want any of this inheritance? You, you'll stop this right now. Guess what? She stopped. And guess what? They, they live in Lubbock, Texas, and they got the big inheritance. They've got it, but I've never seen people so bankrupt. And they had a son a little bit younger than Colin. Just, I mean, like maybe a year younger than Colin. Colin and Philip played together. Philip never did give them anything but hell. They've had hell. They had one child, and they had hell. Now, I grew up living next door to Doug. We know, I mean, I know, we know him well. Hallelujah. Didn't work. It doesn't work, turning your back on God. You can't say no to the Holy Ghost after you said yes to the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, now you don't know any of these people, but I don't care if you send them the tape. It's true. I really don't. I wish somebody would. No, <laughs> they need help. They need help. They need help so bad. They're so destitute. Amen. Uh, where was I? We went to the assembly, and they received us. They didn't know what to think about us, but they were very loving people. They had the love of God shed abroad in our heart, their hearts by the Holy Ghost. They were very loving people. They didn't understand us. But, and, and Pastor Barker was the best pastor that ever walked the face of the earth. He couldn't preach his way out of a bucket, but he was a good pastor. He loved the flock. And he was, man, he never knew when Pastor Barker was going to show up at your house. And he could smell food. That preacher could smell food, and he didn't need no invitation, neither. Hallelujah. And so Pastor Barker, he loved us. And, he, and, and so, you know, all we needed was a place to love. Boy, we got turned on to the faith message. We were giving. We started pouring money into First Assembly of Seagraves because we had money available to us because we were farming. We started pouring money into it. We brought a whole bunch of people with us to the Assembly of God Church. They started giving because we all had a revelation of giving now. We was reading everything Brother Copeland put out, everything Brother Hagen put out. So guess what? The Assembly of God Church that had sat there for 60 years, this little bitty building. All of a sudden, we they, we've remodeled. The whole church is uh, gotten is nice. Amen. You know that church has never ceased to be blessed. It's still blessed. And there in Seagraves, Texas, that church still, as far as I know, is still blessed. Amen. Well, and I might as well finish the story. You know, because I'm this far in it. In 1980, I don't remember when. Let's see. 81, I guess. We'd been in the assembly about a year and a half. 
we were having this Bible study every Thursday night. Pastor Barker was all for it. It was fine with him. He didn't care. We was coming on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night and giving our offering. Why would he care? And it uh, wasn't causing no trouble in the church. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, on Thursday night in October of 81, the Holy Spirit said, uh, this will be the last night for your Bible study. So I told Pastor when he came in, he said, yeah, yeah, that sounds right. So we told the people, my grandmother, she's told you, had a hissy fit. God never shuts down a Bible study. Well, he did this one. Hallelujah. And so she wasn't happy about it. Granny wasn't happy. So, and that was on Thursday. On Saturday, we get a phone call. Now, see, God, my prayers and my alms have come up as a memorial before God. We get a phone call, and it's from uh, uh, Glenn Staples in... uh, McKinney, Texas. McKinney? Some, I think McKinney, huh? Now, but he was McKinney then. Had pastor in that church. No, Wiley. I don't know. He was up there around Dallas somewhere. Anyway, um, and he said, I'm Glenn Staples. Now, he was Mr. Personality Plus, I just got to tell you. And he was a prophet of God. And he said, I am uh, Glenn Staples, and I'm coming to Seminole tomorrow, uh, and we're starting a church. And uh, David Wells thought y'all ought to know. Well, uh, David Wells was, we'd had this Bible study. David Wells was a teacher in Abilene, and he uh, came to our Bible study for a three-night meeting. We just had a little special meeting ourselves, I think, on Thursday, Friday, Saturday night with David Wells and had him come and teach. And uh, I didn't get much out of it, frankly, but, but he, it was a purpose. It was ordered. It was, our steps are ordered, you know. And when David Wells got back home to Abilene, he listened to his message, and it said, Call Trudy, you know the number. So Trudy is Glenn's wife, and that's the only Trudy he could think of. So he calls Trudy and said, what would you need? She said, I didn't call you. Now, I believe in angels, don't you? So he said, well, while I've got you on the phone, what's going on? She says, well, we're going to Seminole, Texas to start a church. He said, well, I know somebody out there that needs to know this. So call Michael and Debbie Billings. They need to know. So we get real excited. I go tell Michael, I've just talked to him. They're starting a church in Seminole tomorrow. I'm so excited. But then when reality set in, because see, I'm eight months pregnant with Eric. And, uh, you know, walk into a new church, you're pregnant. And, of course, the devil, he lied to me. We went into, they met in the bank the little bank room. And we, kind of a hospitality room at the bank. And uh, we, I went in and... Uh, the Lord said, uh, I mean, I go in, and the Lord didn't say, the devil said to me, well, they all know each other here. They're all best friends, and you know y'all don't know anybody. And so, I, and then I didn't want to go anymore. I was excited, but then I didn't want to go. Because, see, the devil had lied to me, and I'm eight months pregnant. Everybody's looking at you, you think, you know. And you know when you're eight months pregnant, you feel like a 55-gallon barrel or something on wheels and uh, um, you do it don't matter it don't matter it don't matter you always and and so anyway so the next Sunday morning he says we're going I said I don't want to and so I'd fight him all the way over there oh I don't want to we're going we're going the next Sunday morning I don't want to go I don't want to go let's just go to the assembly he said finally he said shut up that's really what is he doesn't tell me to shut up very often he said shut up we're going till I know what God's saying to do well God of course was saying to go and brother Barker bless his heart now this is how he gets church blessed you know what he he 
he got up, told his congregation. Meanwhile, I have Eric. Brother Barker comes to the church. We feel bad because we're going to somebody else's church now. But, but he comes to the church. He comes to the hospital. And, you know, but he goes and he tells his congregation. Now, he's smart. He hears from God. And he said, Michael and Debbie, God's leading them to go to Seminole to church, and we need to bless them. Now, he got his church blessed. Amen. Hallelujah. Because he could have fought it. Because he was losing his, you know, he was losing his cash cow. Because we were then. Now, we went through some times later where we weren't, but then we were. And so, uh, but he was, he was a godly man. And so, uh, we go, and that's in October. And now I'm so far into this, I'm just not, I've lost my message. I've lost everything. So, because we're on the armor of God. And I don't even know why I'm doing this. I don't even know why. I don't even know how it relates to this. I couldn't tie it together if I had to. Except my alms. I'm more on Sunday morning's sermon than I am on Sunday night. My alms and my prayers have come up as a memorial before God. God's moving all of heaven and earth now. Amen. And so uh, Glenn is Mr. Personality. I'm telling you, he's the prophet of God, and he is Mr. Enthusiasm, Mr. Energy. He is sanguine to the max. Not very organized, but he is one hyper boy. I mean, he is. One time we were singing. He, we were at a meeting in a place that was the uh, Doss Chapel. It was, a, it was a mausoleum. And we were meeting at a mausoleum. And... Uh, but we just had to meet wherever, you know, wherever they'd let us. And he was on a platform like this, and the they start singing, I can run through a troop and leap over a wall. We sing that about three times, and he comes off of there, puts both hands on the pulpit, legs on the outside, and goes over the pulpit. See, you just come to church to see what he'd do next. Because you never knew what Glenn was going to do. Well, anyway, Glenn told all these people when he came to Seminole, he said, uh, I'm coming for six to 18 months like an apostle to start this church, just like Apostle Paul did. I'm not staying, but I'll be here for six to 18 months. God's got it all planned. Amen. Well, in about February of that year, this started in November or October, God starts preparing us. He, Glenn is having all his friends come in for three-day seminars. And so we see Gerald Brooks. Gerald Brooks, you know, is there in Plano now, pastor in a big Rama church. We saw Gerald when Gerald wasn't cool. He was just like a little boy. And uh, uh, I forget who all. Bob Boos was one of the ones. Bob Lee and Boos, he had them in. Lawrence, the only one in the room knows them. Uh, big charismatic day preacher. Uh, and um, uh, Don Hughes. Remember Don Hughes? Glenn had Don Hughes in. I mean, he'd have some pretty big names for that day in, and we'd go to these meetings. And I remember one night they called Pastor out, and about three prophets got on him and started speaking to him. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And what, did, what was that word? Now i got to think. Oh, Glenn, prophet of God himself, said over him two things we remember. We don't remember most of what they said, but he said, I'm going to begin to stretch your faith in some seemingly painful ways. And then the other thing he said is the cloud is the small the cloud as small as the man's hand is coming upon you. Now we didn't know what that meant, and we went up to Glenn after the service, and we said, "Glenn, what does the cloud as small as the man's hand coming upon you mean?" He said, "I don't know." <laughs> he was the prophet could only go so far, so we don't know either. So uh, we're rocking along, and you know we begin to have this weird desire to move to Seminole. Now people in Seagraves don't like Seminole. We was going to church over there, but there's kind of been this long-term fight because over the airport and the hospital. 
and Seminole got them, and, it, you know, we're all just kind of, we only go to Seminole when we have to go to the courthouse because we're all in the same county. But we go other places to shop and everything. But we start reading the want ads in Seminole, and we even think ourselves we're crazy. And we don't tell anybody why, but we, we believe that we're supposed to do that. I mean, we keep looking at this and thinking we want to move to Seminole. We want to. This is weird. And so uh, we kind of have had the thought, well, maybe we're going to pastor this church. But, you know, we just don't know. And my grandmother a lot of times used to say, well, he's going to be a pastor. And we'd say, no, God needs spirit-filled farmers. And we thought he did, and he does. And so um, we, that summer, my mom decided she's going to go to camp meeting. So camp meeting in this particular hotel, you had to pay for the hotel up front, and that's the way it is now. If you sign up for camp meeting because so many Christians do the, the motels dirty and don't show up at the last minute, you're going to go to camp meeting in Tulsa. You're going to pay for your hotel when you make the reservations. And so um, that's the way it was. She had to pay for her hotel, a Holiday Inn in downtown Tulsa. And uh, she, um, and so right at the last minute, I mean like the week before, uh, Jimmy, her husband, has to work. They're not going to get to go. So she calls us and says, why don't y'all go to camp meeting our place? The hotel's already paid for. All you have to do is get yourself up there. And so... This is July. Farmers do not go to camp meeting in July in West Texas, but we just decided to go anyway. And so we go, uh, we're going to go, and on Saturday night, no, on Friday night, we're standing out in the front yard, and Colin does the little flip on his bicycle and cries all night with his arm, cries all night long over his arm. And, and all night long, I'm saying he, God keeps none of his, none of his, all of his bones and none of them are broken. You know, speaking that word out of the Psalms that was actually speaking of Jesus on the cross. But I say that over him. The next morning, we take him to the doctor and they x-ray his arm. It's broken. And so here I am. I'm supposed to leave the next day on Sunday to go to camp meeting. I got a kid with a broke arm. I mean, you know, and he's crying because it hurts. And... Uh, I don't know what to do. And I got a baby, too. My mom says, that's okay. Just I'll take care of everything. I'll keep Eric. I'll take care of Colin. I'll take him back to the doctor Monday morning. Uh, I'll just take care of everything. My mom says, you know, see, my prayers and my alms have come up as a memorial before God. So we go to camp meeting, and it's hot in Tulsa in July. It is so hot. It's hotter in Alabama, I think. Now, Lawrence begs to differ. But, I mean, it was the hottest place on earth I'd ever been at that point. Of course, I'd never been to Alabama. And so I wasn't adapting. And we were staying at the top of the hill the camp from the camp meeting, which is down at the Civic Center in Tulsa. And so, and they have a morning meeting, they have an after meeting, noon meeting, and they have a night meeting. And the night meeting is not over till the middle of the night sometimes. And uh, I'm not kidding, 12.30 or 1 o'clock in the morning, we'll be trudging up that hill, uh, getting to that Holiday Inn. And so I know this is long testimony, but anyway, I guess I've never told you the whole thing at one time. And uh, so anyway, we, all week long, we trudged down there in the morning, trudged back up to the Holiday Inn to eat lunch because we didn't rent a car. Why, I don't know. But we didn't rent a car, so we're, we're eating at the hotel. We trudge back up, eat lunch, trudge back down at 2 o'clock for the 2 o'clock meeting, trudge back up to eat supper, trudge back down the hill to go to the night meeting. And at midnight or 12.30, when Norval Hayes gets through preaching... I know we was walking back up that hill one night in the middle of the night, and there's a black lady in front of us. Boy, she was just, oh, that, oh, she was upset. That meeting had gone so long. She said, that brother novel, he's not normal. She said, 
She said, she said, he pulls up in that reserved parking. And he sits in that reserved section. And man, she is, and I thought the same thing. I'm like, whew, here we are. And you, anyway, I've thought that all along, Brother Norville. He's not normal. No, he's not. He walks in the supernatural. Hallelujah. But that was the year that has, people remember that year, 1982 at Camp Meeting, when we talk to them. It was the Faith Hall of Fame. John Osteen was there. Fred Price was there. Kenneth E. Hagen. Kenneth Copeland. Uh, Norval Hayes. Fred Price. I mean, it was the Faith Hall of Fame. It was awesome. And so we're there. And on Thursday afternoon, we say, oh, God, we're tired. Let's just take a nap this afternoon. Let's don't even go this afternoon. You know, we'd been to every service Monday through. And this is Thursday afternoon. But right, maybe 10 minutes till 2, it's going to start at 2. We say, oh, we just got to go. And we just jump up out of the bed and throw our clothes on. And we start trudging down that hill again. And we get there, and John Osteen's preaching. And John Osteen's preaching. See, now God moves all heaven and earth together when your prayers and your alms come up as a memorial before him. And, John, and you're expecting to, you know. And John Osteen's preaching. <clears throat> And right in the middle of his sermon, he stops. And he said, by the way, the cloud as small as the man's hand is the five-fold ministry. And then he just picks up his sermon. I mean, it was like the window of heaven opened. We got the word. We, so this is in July, the end of July. Camp meeting is always the end of July. So we go home and put our house on the market. And, of course, all the parents just... Oh, you know, they're just flipping. We're, what are you doing? Well, we're going to move. Well, first of all, we didn't. We went home, and we went and, and got a realtor and found a house in Seminole and put $25 to $100 escrow money. That's what she asked for. I don't know why nobody asked for that much, but we put $2,500 escrow money down on it, got approved for the loan contingent on the sale of our house, put our house up on the market. We're pretty much figured now. He said the cloud is small, the hand's hand is five-fold ministry. We pretty much figured we're going to be the pastor of this church. Of course, you can't tell the pastor of the church that you're going to be the pastor of the church. I wouldn't dare say that. And if you say it, I'll say, no, you're lying because you're not. I can tell you. I was, but you're not. We were. And so uh, this rocks long. The house doesn't sell. We're not, the house isn't selling. The house isn't selling. The house isn't selling. Of course, the economy's depressed in Seagraves at that time. Um. Interest rates real high. Um, so uh, uh, in October, Glenn says one week, he just says, oh, Saturday, I'm having a uh, men's breakfast at the Raymond Hotel at, on Saturday. All the men of the church come. He unexpectedly, he just gets up in front of the men. Well, first of all, right before he starts the men's meeting, he comes over to Michael and says, I'm fixing to resign this morning. I'm making you the pastor. Now, this church is called Faith Christian Fellowship at that time. And it's just doesn't have a building or anything. It's just roaming from bank to community building to mausoleum. We're just wandering. <laughs> you know, we're like the church in the wilderness. You never know where we're going to be. And uh, so... Uh, and Michael said, well, no, you know. Because see, by that time, the people, he just didn't want the people. So he said, just make me the interim pastor, you know. And so Glenn got up in front of the men that morning and said, I'm resigning. I'm leaving. I told you I'd come for six to 18 months. It's been one year to the day. I'm leaving. And Michael Billings is the interim pastor. 
And so that was on Sunday. Michael's taking over effective immediately. So Wednesday night, pastor comes to church in his western, western sport coat and his boots. That's all he owns. His wet boot. He don't own a pair of shoes, boots. He don't wear tennis shoes. He don't wear sissy shoes like he's got on now. Uh, he wears boots. Western shirts. He, he wore those nice Western, Kenny Rogers Western shirts. Bought them up there at Lusky's in Lubbock. And uh, y'all ever heard of Lusky's? Well, and um, so, I mean, he did you have on jeans? I think you had on jeans Wednesday night. And so, jeans and that looked good. Hallelujah. <laughs> so, he's the pastor. And so, uh, uh, we start out, and I think maybe the first week they all showed up. The next week, about a third of them pulled out. The second week, about the next third pulled out, and we're down to about a third of them now. Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, our house still hadn't sold. We had 90 days to fulfill the contract. So we're, uh, we, we're like, okay, we're fixing to lose this $2,500. What do we do? What do we do? Now, his dad, meanwhile, comes up to him. See, God moves all heaven and earth together. When you've, your prayers and your alms have come up as a memorial before God, and he moves uh, heaven and earth together, and he says, uh, his dad, who does not want us to move, does not want us to get out of farming, does not want us to pastor a church, comes up to him and says, well, I tell you what, I'll buy the house. And just put it in my name, give you the money, you can buy your house that you've got under contract in Seminole, and, uh, and, uh, uh, and then you can sell it at your leisure. And, or when it sells, you can sell it. And uh, we said, oh, that couldn't be God. That's not God. My Lord, that's not God. God doesn't want to do it that way. God wants to show those people. He wants to teach them how wonderful he is and how supernatural he is. See, we didn't have a clue, so we're rocking along. We're two days before this contract expires. We don't know anybody else. We don't have a pastor to consult with. And so we uh, go to, uh, we had seen this man at the full gospel businessmen meeting, and he'd given a testimony how he got, somebody drove into his town, Clovis, New Mexico, called him on the phone and said, come down to Denny's. And when he got down to Denny's, they wrote him a check for $25,000. So we thought, surely this man knows something about believing God. You know, he was the only one we knew had anything supernatural happen. So Michael calls him on the phone, gets his number. We don't, he don't know us. We don't know him. But he calls information, gets Bud Queener's number, calls Bud Queener and said, I got to have some help. I got to ask you something. Here's the situation. My dad said he'd buy the house. It, could that be God? And Bud Queener goes, of course it's God. <laughs> yeah, it's God. And so we, so Long story short, Walt bought the house. We bought the house in Seminole. We moved to Seminole. Three months later, guess who buys our house in Seagraves? Brother Barker <laughs> from the Assembly of God Church bought our house. He was over there all the time. I guess he got to liking it. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So see, God's moved heaven and earth together to get us in his, to get us filled with the Spirit, to get us supernaturally. See, miracles, we talked about miracles today. Pastor and I have had miracles in our life every day. A lot of people don't call those miracles, but I call supernatural events like that, I call them miracles. Amen? And long story short, within a month, see, we always had anointing to believe God for buildings. In a month, we had a building. And we, in, a, in another month, we had it remodeled. And it was pretty. It had red carpet in it. It's still got red carpet. And they, it's a Mexican food restaurant. They're still using that red, same red carpet. They still got, it still looks like a pulpit up at the front. I mean, we had an altar rail. 
They just serve Mexican food around that altar rail. It don't bother them none. And uh, <coughs> so uh, it didn't take us long. We had us a building. We had us a... Uh, and, and, you know, I need to let y'all go now. But hallelujah, God's been, and we've been working in the supernatural, having supernatural events, supernatural miracles ever since. Supernatural financial miracles. Now, and you know, but having to obey God. Now, we owned a Suburban. It was completely paid for. We rock along about four months from then, and God said, sell the Suburban. One morning, we wake up on a Monday morning, he said, sell the Suburban. And, and ask $8,000 for it, and go to this person in Lubbock, Texas, this used car lot, and ask him to buy it. And, and we did, and he did, and we started, we, we, had, we took a little step backwards. We started driving a Cavalier, but guess what? We survived. Sometimes you have to move a little backward before you move forward, you know? So we took a little step backwards in the far as financial, but we were so full of the Holy Ghost. We didn't even care. We knew it was God. We knew he was going to make it come out right in the end. Oh, since then, I've had so many pretty cars and even got a new Suburban later, you know. Hallelujah. God's anything you ever give up for him, he'll make it up to you so many times over. So many times over. Oh, hallelujah. And so I believe in miraculous. I'm expecting all the... I'm, I, every time I come and pray, I expect God to speak something to me. I expect a key. I expect a revelation. Hallelujah. I'm just, I'm always, and I don't mind walking by faith. Some of you are waiting to see the money before you step out in faith. Hallelujah. But you'll never see it. I got news for you. It'll never happen. You'll never see it because God insists. He demands that you walk by faith. He demands it. You'll never see it until you step out there. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So we went from having a, a farmer's income to the church. And, 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 and this sounds, uh, some of you may say this sounds good, but it, after a farmer's income, he, they paid us what they were paying Glenn, and it was $500 a week. And, uh, we, and our house payment was $700-something a month. And uh, hallelujah. And I didn't work. Just worked for Jesus and hallelujah. He pays. He pays for prayer. He pays for prayer. He pays you to work for him. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. If you had to look back and say how we did it, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. I believe in the miraculous. I believe in the supernatural. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Well, I didn't know we was going to do this tonight. I thought, but you know, hallelujah, we're praying and no telling what God's going to do. Let's stand up. You, I, I, I just, if anything, I believe you'd be stimulated to believe for supernatural things. To get out there further than what you can do on your own. Pastor and I have always lived above our means. We've always had more than the salary would say you could have. Amen. Hallelujah. And we did it all just believing Him. Not looking at what we saw. Not looking at that salary. Not looking at that. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Oh, I just feel so sorry for people.